Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, Little Green Men. And this article comes from uh, history.com, titled, How the Little Green Men Phenomena Began on a Kentucky Farm. By Vocal Janison, and I believe this was published on January 2nd of 2020. It says the 11 witnesses who arrived at the Hopkinsville police station were genuinely terror-struck. And if you go to the site there, it has a sketch of a little green man, almost like a gremlin-looking fellow with quite large wing-shaped ears and elongated hands. And this actually says it is an illustration depicting the little green men described by Billy Ray Taylor. It looks more like a little green demon to me. And this encounter happened, uh, it looks like 1955. It says, why are aliens so often depicted as little green men with bulbous heads and oversized eyes? The mythology began in part on the night of August 21, 1955, when a large extended farm family called the Suttons, arrived breathlessly at the Hopsonsville police station in southwestern Kentucky. The story of a terrifying sledge by otherworldly beings would become one of the most detailed and baffling accounts of an alien close encounter on record, notable for the large number of witnesses, nearly a dozen. The duration of the encounter, several hours, and the close proximity between the witnesses and the creatures, sometimes just a few feet away, the incident quickly became regional and even national news. The alleged encounter occurred on the Sutton's family farm in the tiny rural hamlet of Kelly, Kentucky, where the family lived in an unpainted three-room house without running water, telephone, radio, TV, or books. Of all the details of their story, the UFO landing and the appearance of small green alien creatures, one fact is indisputable. When the eight adults and three children arrived at the nearby Hobsonsville police station at about 11 p.m., they were genuinely terror-struck. These aren't the kind of people who normally run to the police for help, Police Chief Russell Greenwald later told investigators. What they do is reach for their guns. Yet here they were, women and children, hysterical, and one man with a pulse of 140 beats per minute measured by an investigator. It goes on. Small metallic humanoids impervious to bullets. According to accounts given to the police at about 7 p.m. on the hot Sunday evening, Sunday family friend Billy Ray Taylor was fetching water from the backyard well when he saw a silvery object. Real bright, with an exhaust all the colors of the rainbow, as he later recounted, it came silently toward the house, passed over it, stopped in the air, and then dropped state straight to the ground. Now remember, this was 1955, so nobody was thinking about drones or probably even helicopters or anything like that. It goes on, Taylor, 21, and his 18-year-old wife had come from Pennsylvania to visit Lucky Sutton, with whom he had worked on a traveling carnival. The Sutton's 50-year-old widow and matriarch, Glennie Lankford, her two older sons and their wives, a brother-in-law and the widow's three 
Younger children, 12, 10, and 7, didn't take Billy Ray seriously, laughing off his UFO account. You can imagine how this guy felt. You've got this giant silver metallic UFO floating over your head. <laughs> a few feet away, nobody believes you. An hour later, alerted by the dog's incessant barking, Lucky and Billy Ray went to the back door and made out a strange glow in the midst of which they spied a small humanoid creature. About three and a half feet tall, it had an oversized head, almost perfectly round, arms extended almost to the ground. Its hands had talons, and its oversized eyes looked glowing with a yellowish light. The body gave off an eerie shimmer in the light of the night's new moon. They said as if made of silver metal. Terrified, the two men grabbed the twenty gauge shotgun and a twenty-two rifle and fired at the little man. Its hands, now raised as if, as if held up at gunpoint, as it came toward the back door. They reported that, that it then did a flip, scrambled upright, and fled into the darkness. So apparently after they shot this thing, it did have some effect on it as it flipped over and took off. The article goes on. Shortly after the men saw a similar creature appear in a side window and fired through the window screen. Now you can imagine these people. They're holed up inside their cabin or this little house and suddenly they're being invaded by these small, silvery, demonic-looking uh, ETs. The article goes on. Shortly after the men saw a similar creature appear in a side window and fired through the window screen, Still impervious to the bullets, the little man allegedly flipped, then disappeared. I went out in the hallway and crouched down next to Billy. When I saw one approaching the door, Mrs. Lankford told Isabel Davis, an author of an extensive report called The Close Encounter at Kelly and Others of 1955, it looked like a five-gallon gasoline can with a head on top and small legs. It was shimmering, bright metal-like, on my refrigerator. The article goes on. The drama escalated when Taylor stepped outside under the small overchanging roof and those behind him saw a claw-like hand reach down and touch his hair. The group screamed and pulled Taylor back while Lucky shot above the overhang and then at another similar creature in a nearby tree. It floated to the ground and then scurried into the woods. So these poor people are holed up in the house and they have at least four of these creatures it's almost as if it's a failed abduction. They're trying to get into the house at the people. Not only are they are trying to come in through the front door and the window, but they're trying to climb in over the roof from the sounds of it. The Suttons moved inside and spent several hours listening for movements, hearing mostly occasional scratches on the roof. At 11 p.m., the whole group ran for the cars and then hightailed it to the Hopskinville police station at top speed. After the local police chief called for backup, his team was joined at the Sutton Farm by state police, military police from nearby Fort Campbell, and a photographer from Kentucky New Era. These investigators found shell casings from the gunshots, but no other evidence. Neither could they find proof of heavy drinking. According to the Sutton matriarch, liquor was not allowed in the farmhouse. Once the police and others left, though, the creatures returned between 2.30 a.m. and daybreak. Mrs. Lankford said she saw one glowing repeatedly by her bedside window, its claw-like hand on the screen. In the following days, 
The radio stations and newspapers, including the New York Times, reported the incident. Hundreds of curiosity seekers descended on the farm, often ridiculing the Suttons as ignorant or fraudulent. When no trespassing signs proved useless at discouraging them, the family tried charging admission. Fifty cents for entering the grounds, dollar for information, and ten dollars for taking pictures. After that, skeptics blasted them as fortune-seeking fabulists. As the Kelly story spread into the world, it took on a life of its own. The number of little green men grew to a dozen or more. A few years later, the little metallic men were conflated with an eastern Kentucky woman's report of a flying saucer and a six-foot-tall man in green helping launch the myth of the little green men. It goes on, what investigators say. It says, Glenn Lankford's first-hand account of the encounter reported in the Project Blue Book case file has that listed. It goes on, it says, the day after the incident, police investigators returned to the farmhouse. Searching for evidence of a saucer, landing, footprints, blood trails, or scratch marks on the roof, they found nothing. Bud Ludwith, a local radio station employee, interviewed the adult eyewitnesses and made drawings based on their accounts. According to Davis, he was impressed by the remarkable specificity and consistency. Even though the men were away from the farmhouse all day, unable to coordinate with others. While the incident eventually attracted the attention of the Air Force UFO Investigation Program Project Blue Book, documents suggest that its team never officially pursued the matter beyond checking in with their Fort Campbell counterparts who had been briefly at the scene the first night. One of the most thorough investigations of the Kelly investigation was undertaken in 1956 by UFOlogist Isabel Davis and published several decades later by the Center for UFO Studies, a group founded by astronomer Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Project Blue Book's civilian investigator, that was Hynek, he was a Project Blue Book civilian investigator, uh, says uh, her, newly, her nearly 200-page report, so co-written with Teddy Blocher, includes detailed maps uh, of the documentary, record summaries of familiar accounts, and the world in interviews with several Sutton family members and police investigators, and that would be Isabel Davis. Uh, sounds like Heineck also did his own investigation. Davis summarized the latter's concerns about the lack of physical evidence, but to her reckoning, none of the possible explanations, a deliberate hoax, a publicity play, group hallucinations made sense. While questions across, while questions arose about whether the young men were exaggerating, possibly fueled by hidden, by hidden stories of liquor, Davis' Davis's strong impression after meeting Miss, Mrs. Lankford was one of a somber, no-nonsense matriarch who abhorred the limelight and had no reason to lie. None of the witnesses, Davis noted, had any history of making preposterous allegations. In 2006, Jack Nicknell, senior research fellow of the International Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and a self-styled paranormal investigator, reviewed the accumulated evidence in the article entitled Siege of the Little Green Men, the 1955 Kentucky incident. In it, he raised suspicion about what he called Billy Taylor's embroidered testimony. He matched Taylor's UFO sighting with similar reports from the day, which suggested a small meter in the vicinity. Well, I'm not going to completely read the rest of the article because, to be honest with you, um, I frankly don't care about reading anything that the skeptics have to say. It's it's just going to be nothing but debunking and mocking. If you want to look at the article, you can go over there to history.com and the just the fact that these people all reported seeing the same thing. You've got uh, 
you know, a dozen people, and the fact that they were individually interviewed right when it happened and just after it happened, and they were all able to uh, describe and sketch you know, individually, separately, what they saw. So they all came up with a strikingly similar uh, ET or non-human entity that they witnessed. And you have to ask yourself, you've got uh, eight adults, four children, what would be the odds that you could interview these people separately and they would all come up with basically the same exact uh, eyewitness account and the same eyewitness sketch of what they saw. Right down to the height, down to the shape of the hands, the fact that the hands had like talons on the end of them, this, these outsized gremlin ears that look like wings. To my mind, that lends more credibility to this whole story than anything, is the fact that you have these people... This is 1955. They're sitting around their little house. They were so scared that they all rushed into the cars and drove in town. You know, it's 1955. We're not talking about getting in your nice, comfortable, 30, 40, 50, $60,000 vehicle and driving across town to the police station. We're talking about getting into an old 1955 vehicle, driving down rugged backcountry roads in Kentucky in the middle of the night to the police station. It required some effort. And you're talking about some real salt-of-the-earth, backwoods-type people. As I said in the article, they're not the type of people to run to the police. I mean, they're former carnival workers. They sound like some pretty, some, some pretty tough, backwoods-type people. So whatever happened genuinely frightened them. And whatever happened left a real impression on them because they were able to individually describe to police sketch artists or whoever the sketch artist was very detailed sketches and drawings of the creatures they saw. And it turns out they all described the same thing. Now, in my opinion, you know, eight or nine people getting together like that just on a, on a whim and being able to all specifically describe the same thing, if it was just a, a made-up story, there's going to be a lot of inconsistencies in the story. But the fact that they all told the same story and they all described the same thing really makes me believe that they saw the same thing and that they experienced the same thing. And what this sounds like to me is a failed alien abduction. Maybe these things came down, they were going to do an abduction on somebody, and they weren't expecting a house full of people. It is interesting that the the older woman they talked about there, the mother of the family, the 50-year-old woman, she describes coming back home and having this thing perched outside of her bedroom window. So whatever it was... It was persistent, and it sounds like it was there maybe to get her, and it hadn't expected her to have company that night. What's interesting about this also is the physical aspect of it. You know, so many times we talk about UFO phenomenon just being a light in the sky or some sort of interdimensional thing, but these things seem to have had real physical properties, and when they were shot, even though they weren't wounded, just the blast of the shotgun or the rifle does seem to have affected these creatures. They describe them as flipping over or running back you know, into the woods or toward the ship or whatever. So there was a physical interaction here. They were physically on the roof. They were physically trying to get in the window. They were trying to get in the house from the sounds of it. Now, whether it was the actual gunplay that forced them to leave the house or it was just simply the humans willing them to be gone... 
Who knows? But there does seem to be a real battle of wills here. As far as the skeptics coming out and saying, well, this story was based on other sightings in the area, well, that's about the most stupid thing you can say as far as I'm concerned. All that do- To say that there were other sightings in the area, all that does is to suggest or imply that there were more witnesses. In my mind, it makes it more likely that this fellow saw something, not less likely. I mean, if one person reports seeing a UFO, you could say, well, that was just their imagination. But if dozens of people report seeing a UFO, well, either you have mass hysteria or somebody actually saw something. And I have to lean toward seeing something. It's a very fascinating case. And uh, you can get through it. There's a lot of good detail on it. It's over on history.com. And there are some excellent sketches that were written at the time. You can actually see what these things look like and how they appear to people. Quite frankly, it's a little bit frightening. I thought this was an interesting case. Like I said, from Kentucky, 1955, I would suggest you take a look at the case of the Little Green Men. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.